Leaning Toward Wisdom, the podcast. Are you putting off choosing? Greetings and welcome inside the Ellis Studio. My name is Randy Kentrell. I'm your host here. Hunter S. Thompson, in a book, The Proud Highway, Saga of a Desperate Southern Gentleman, 1955 to 1967. He wrote this line, A man who procrastinates in his choosing will inevitably have his choice made for him by circumstance. Greetings and welcome inside the Ellis studio. It is an episode of leaning toward wisdom, the podcast, modern tales of an ancient pursuit. As I hit the record button, I'm recording this well in advance. I will forewarn you, but today you're listening. If you're listening on the day it's published December the 22nd, 2022 Thursday probably the last episode of the year so we got that going for us i encourage you to go visit the website leaning toward it is a website it is a podcast powered by me and i am powered by age experience wit and sarcasm randy cantrell's my name greetings and welcome inside the yellow studio reinvention Seems an odd word, doesn't it? When it's applied to us, when we apply this to our lives, to who we are, to who we hope to become reinvention. He tells me he wants to reinvent himself. All right. I mean, I'm, I'm wondering what he means. And so I ask a few questions cause I'm hoping to understand. And I say into what we laugh. It's a serious question. Even if the tone's lighthearted, I want to reinvent myself into what he pauses. He didn't say anything. And so I, I kind of have to keep the snarkiness going. I say something better, I hope, and more chuckles. And then I get a more serious tone and I say, okay, really tell me what you're thinking. And the next few minutes, all I hear is about the past. And I hear a bit about the present, mostly things that I already know, but they've got a real familiar ring to them because they sound like excuses. They sound like a front. They sound like a cover story. And being the Hunter S. Thompson fan that I am, I thought of that line that Hunter wrote long ago. A man who procrastinates in his choosing will inevitably have his choice made for him by circumstance. So I wait a few minutes. And when he comes up for air through the reciting of his excuses, I ask, well, what's stopping you? And he acts as though he didn't hear me. And he says, sorry. And I, so I repeated, I said, what's stopping you? What is stopping you from this reinvention? Now experience has taught me that he is likely at this point in the conversation, he's going to go down one of two paths. Number one, he is going to be bold and he's going to answer. Not many people do that. Number two, he's going to wind up more excuses. And that's the option that he took. 
I wasn't shocked. And so after a few more minutes, even he seems to be growing exhausted with making up these excuses and crafting this cover story to hide why he is not yet choosing to do something about his life. And this is a life that he himself has built. The not so surprising thing is like all the rest of us, he is vocalizing the many reasons why life has imposed on him circumstances and brought him to this point in his life where he is not satisfied, much less happy. It was all these influences on him. It was all these circumstances on him that were prompting him to desire a change, a reinvention, as he called it. I'm not completely impatient when it comes to history or looking at our past, because I realize the value in understanding our past. And I understand it well enough to know why we've learned what we've learned. But I also know that deep down, most of us, we are the 11 year old version of ourselves. Many of us were just stuck in time, not because of hard wiring, but because of choice. I see it almost every day. I see it in the lives of others. I see it in my own life. She grew up with hardly enough to eat. Now as a mom, she is fixated on making sure her kids eat even more than they want to eat because she is remembering her own childhood hunger. Okay. Well, her kids aren't her intellectually. She knows this, but she is not able to forget her own experiences and it provokes her to battle this enemy, hunger, an enemy that her kids don't even face. Well, that was then. This is now. I had a history professor. He informed us how history just keeps on being produced. Not necessarily a profound thought till you stop to think about it. We never get ahead of it. History is this conveyor belt of events and people and circumstances and situations that just never stops. Our lives are the same way. Whatever your history is, well, it matters. I'm not discounting it, but I mean, how much, I mean, here's this woman. She hasn't been hungry for years. It has absolutely no bearing on things today, except that it has been so imprinted into her. She won't let it go. Let me heavy, 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 heavy emphasis on the word won't. She won't let it go. Not can't. I mean, besides, stop and think about this. If hunger does ever reoccur, well, stuffing ourselves right now isn't going to eliminate that. We're not like camels. We can't just store this stuff up. So, Mr. I want to reinvent myself. He, he's going on and on about the things that have already happened. They matter. But again, the question I have is how much? And so I ask him, how much does any of that matter? And then there's, that's followed with more of, well, here's my story and I'm sticking with it kind of a thing. And so now I have this opportunity, this moment, it, it, it almost always happens. I have this moment where I can use his own language against him for his own good. Well, if you want to reinvent yourself, then doesn't that mean you invented yourself to begin with? Yeah, this, this isn't my first rodeo in a conversation like this. 
he leans he leans his head back, puts his chin in the air. He takes this big inhale through his nostrils, and then he slowly exhales. And by the time his chest goes in from the exhale, he has realized the corner that he has put himself into. And so now trapped in the story that he himself has been telling, he has told it who knows how many times over the course of his life, including the cover story that he has crafted to make himself look better than he really is. Something we all do, by the way, he now realizes he's running out of places to hide. Now, these are glorious moments for me. They are absolutely glorious because these are the corners where we necessarily have to go where the magic happens, man. The corners where all of our excuses are eliminated. And now here we are alone, not in a bad way, in all the best ways. We are alone in a corner staring at ourselves in a mirror. Where at long last, well, for some of us, it's the first time ever we learn this is our life and we have made it what it is up to this point and whatever improvements we may now seek, well, they're completely up to us. Nobody else has a vote. We are a one person government. There is only a single vote. And when we realize that we alone cast that vote, it's a powerful realization. So I look at him. I don't say anything. I just let him process this moment as hopefully he grows more comfortable in being in this corner where the magic happens. I suspect he has not been here before because very few of us have. Most of us enjoy what he has been enjoying. Uh, Martin Siegelman, he dubbed it learned helplessness. I'll try to find the paper. Martin Siegelman, he wrote a book called Learned Optimism. And I, I, I grabbed this book as a young, young father and read it. And I mostly was looking for it in the context of trying to help my children embrace optimism. And I found it fascinating that Siegelman's perspective is we can learn it. Yes, some people may naturally be wired for optimism, but we can learn it. But what Siegelman also discovered through his experiments, you can also learn helplessness. And sometimes we tell these stories and they make us look like a hero, even though deep down we know we're a coward. Even though deep down we know we're not willing to face whatever challenges have long stood in our way. And we can self-talk. We can be berating ourselves silently while outwardly we're crowing about how great we are or about how we've been wronged by others. Come on. This is the stuff of all of our lives. But it's interesting to understand and to think that, well, we can learn optimism, but we can also learn helplessness. We can learn to be victims And for some of us, it's just a way of life. For others of us, 
Yeah. Okay. We have moments here and there. We all do. So I asked the question, have you been putting off this choice? Have you been making excuses for why you haven't created the life that you now say you want this life that you want as a reinvention? He stares at me. And at first I'm really not quite sure if he's getting angry with me or himself. And very quickly, it's obvious he's angry that he hasn't seen this before. I can just tell I've seen, I, again, not my first rodeo. And I say, listen, it's okay. We see it when we see it. We learn it when we learn it. The good news is that now that you've learned it, you can move forward. I'm an idiot. He says, I'm, I'm an idiot. It's a common refrain when we see something that we haven't seen before, something that now seems so blindingly obvious, but man alive, just seconds ago, it, it not only was it not blindingly obvious, we couldn't see it. And it's especially true when it's something that we see in ourselves. No, you're hardly an idiot. You're human. You've got baggage. You've got experience. It's the matrix that all of us are living in. And some of us, we have the courage to look at ourselves enough to see what you're now seeing. And that is that we created this life for ourselves. All of it. We invented this reality. So you know what this means. It means we can reinvent it. It's great news. So we keep on talking and I impress on him the man that he is today versus the younger man. He was when he first invented himself. Well, today he's far better educated. He's got a family that he loves. He's got a family who loves him. He's got a career. His life isn't bad, even if it's not the one he most wants yet. So I remind him, listen, the idiot that you may have felt like you were, you know, listen, that person was way more likely the idiot than this man in front of me today. And that idiot, that past you, that younger you, who didn't have all this knowledge and this wisdom, this experience and a wife and kids. And I mean, that guy didn't do such a bad job. Imagine what this idiot, this idiot that you are today. Imagine what this idiot can do. He chuckles, but he also knows I'm being completely honest with him. It's always true. All of those choices that I made when I was a kid growing up, they formed my life. I'm not minimizing the influences. They matter greatly. Listen, I fell in love with a girl when I was 18. I asked her to marry me when I was 20. And some months shy of our 21st birthday, we did get married. I didn't know diddly squat, but it worked out grand. It worked out grand. The idiot that I once was got me to where I am. You know what this means? This means that the person that I am today can do a lot better job. It's the power of choice. Choice. Listen, this is why you can find kids that grew up in just some deplorable circumstances. And it's like, you know, they emerge victorious. They're great humans. And you're like, how, how, how did they overcome that adversity? 
I can tell you how. They made up their mind. And then other people who can, they can seem to have every advantage on the planet and they can just grow up and be miserable humans. How does this happen? Because we get to decide for ourselves. That's how. I'm not minimizing influences. I'm not minimizing circumstances. They can certainly help or hurt. If I take a look at my life right now, I know that the person who crafted this life did not know nearly as much as I know today. I mean, come on. The 18-year-old me, the 20-year-old me, the 25-year-old me, the 35-year-old, the 45-year-old me, the 55-year-old me, they did not have near as much experience, near as much know-how as I have today, near as much confidence as I have today in what I know, didn't have near as much wisdom, didn't have the insights and the experiences that I've got today. In short, didn't have many, if any, of the advantages that I have today. So am I to believe that today I am less powerful to craft an improved life? That today, armed with all of these advantages, that I am at a disadvantage to reinvent my life today? Well, that's rubbish. I'm so much more qualified to make a decision today. I'll argue with you. I, I, I say it pretty regularly. I've never been better. I've never been better. I've never known this much. I've never had this much experience. I've never had this much insight. I've never had this much wisdom. I'm not saying I got a lock on those things. I'm just saying that compared to the past, I've never been better. That does not mean I have more courage. It does not mean that I have less fear. I need the courage to make a better, a different choice, an improved choice. And that's the hard work. That is the hard work required of going into the corner to stop being foolish with our cover story and all of our excuses to figure out how we can now at long last face these dragons knowing full well that now, because we see more clearly now, we know we can kill them. We know we can slay the dragons because we can. The dragons are those that are inside our heads. It's these that we have convinced ourselves. It's not our fault. It's not our responsibility. It's they did this to me. These are the dragons that convince us that others have done this to us or that life and circumstances have done this. It's all that self-talk that we listen to and we believe it. Well, because we're hearing it over and over and over and over and over and over. We have the power over those dragons. But then there are the dragons of those circumstances that Hunter mentioned, the ones that will decide for us if we procrastinate or if we refuse to, cho to choose. Life will happen. We know this is true. Life will happen no matter what we do. But even those dragons... Even those dragons of, of circumstance, they have less power over us when we understand that they simply require of us another decision. Namely, just one decision, and that is, okay, now what? Rhonda and I are going to church some months ago. On the highway, she runs into something. And as we take our exit, 
flat tire. She pulls over. Okay. Woulda, coulda, shoulda. You got a flat. That's the circumstance that you're now facing. Okay. Well now what? Well, you know, pull over. We find a safe place to pull over. I get the jack out. I put on the spare tire. I mean, that that's what now, I mean, what are you going to do? Go back and try to find what you ran over. Have no idea what we ran over. Is it going to change anything? I could waste my time doing it. And by the way, it was like 105 degrees. It was back in the summer. Dressed for church. <laughs> Hands are dirty. I mean, it's, it, no, it's not a great circumstance, but what are you going to do? It's done. Now what? Well, now let's get this other tire on here and let's get on about it. And then the next day I go to the tire store and I got new tires. You know, it's funny to me how all of us, including me, we can fixate on who or what is to blame, mostly deflecting so that it doesn't appear that we're to blame. Okay. Was it Rhonda's fault that she ran over it? I don't know. I don't even know what she ran over. Doesn't matter. It happened. You know, sometimes we're like those suspects. You watch it in these TV interrogation shows. You ever watch ID TV? You know, you watch Lieutenant Kenda and Homicide Hunter and shows like that. And invariably, you know, they bring the suspect in and they've already got, I mean, they, they know, they know more than these idiots that are sitting in front of them realize. And this person, you know, they're, they're making up every excuse and they're acting like, no, they, they weren't there. And I don't, I don't know anything about this and desperately, desperately trying to distance themselves from the crime. And of course the detectives and we watching, we, we know they're way more culpable than they want to admit. Well, we, we, we behave exactly the same way in our own lives. We're desperately, desperately trying to distance ourselves from these outcomes in our life. You know, we are where we are. We, 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 we weren't there. We, we didn't make the decision. We were not holding the gun. We were not responsible in any way. This all, it just happened to us. We don't want to admit it. And so we don't admit it. And that's why these cover stories matter so much. And we can become super skillful at crafting these cover stories because, well, they seem to us to be great cover stories. Here's the problem. The problem is the better the cover stories, the more believable they are to other people. Here's what's really, here's what's the most disastrous thing of it all. The more believable a cover story is so that other people will believe it, the more genuinely we believe it. Never mind that it's a complete lie and we know it. Well, we knew it when we first started telling it. Maybe now over time we've repeated it so often we we genuinely think that's the it is the truth. That is the horrifically damaging part about all of this learned helplessness. We delude ourselves. Cuz now we're believing our own lies about ourselves, about our own life. Urging people, including ourselves, looking in the mirror and telling ourselves to stop being afraid, empty advice. Good luck with that because we're all afraid. Fear is real. 
even if it is only imagined. And sometimes we need somebody to help us. We need somebody to serve us. You know the way Caesar? Caesar, the guy, the, the dog whisperer. You ever watched him? He serves these ill-behaved dogs. Here's what he, he does every single time, and it doesn't matter what the dog is doing. He gently but firmly, he makes this movement with one hand with his thumb and his fingers is is he makes that movement on the dog's throat it's kind of a biting action that he does with his hands it's an attention getter and man it stops the dog dead in his tracks it's a it's an attention getter it distracts the dog even momentarily from this bad behavior it takes the dog's mind off of what he was doing you know it's kind of like that joke that we'll make with friends who, hurt, who, you know, they might, maybe they hit their, they hit their finger with a hammer and you go, well, here, here, let me get my hammer and I'll hit you in the foot. And that'll take your mind off of it. <laughs> it. It's a joke, but it's also true. We understand the truth of it. Sometimes the remedy is to get your mind off of it. Okay. Well, how are we going to do that? I'm going to tell you how. By not thinking at all, by doing, by making a choice and getting on with it. I want to drop another 20 pounds. I'm about that far from what I think may be my ideal weight. I'm not deluded. It's, it's based mostly on my own sense of self and history and, and what my doctor also suggests. Now I can strategize about this. I can think about it. And then I can think about it some more. I could even spreadsheet out some things and I could, I could get a plan together. None of that's going to help me lose 20 pounds. You know, what's going to work making up my mind and then beginning like right now doing it right now. That's what's going to work. It's true of weight loss. It is true of anything else. I don't need more knowledge. I don't need more time to think about it or ponder it or process it. It's not some new creative strategy that I need. I don't need to find some new diet. I don't need to find some new tactic. I don't need to read another book about how to do it. I don't need to take a course in how to do it. I don't need to pay some subscription service that has some tricks or recipes or inducements. No, I just need to decide that I'm going to get on with it. Because here's what's going to happen when I do that. If I do that right now, I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to go to the kitchen. I'm going to grab for something. I'm going to go, eh, no, this, won't, this ain't going to help me. This will not contribute to my losing 20 pounds. I think I'll put that back. And I'm going to drop the weight. And I'm going to keep dropping the weight. And I'm going to figure it out as I go. And if I keep my mind made up, I'm going to keep the weight off and nothing will stop me. If I've made up my mind that I'm not going to let anything stop me. And in doing all of that, I will be reinventing. I will be rewriting part of my story. The fitness part of my story. I will be accepting responsibility for my own weight loss outcome. 
And I will happily look in the mirror when I mess up and I'll declare it's on me, man. I slipped up. I'm the one that chose that brownie. I shouldn't have chosen that brownie. I did choose the brownie. I'm going to pay for it. And then I can make a new decision like we had to make when we got a flat tire. Okay, now what? Or I have an option. And the option is I can, I can spend the next months pining about how I can't believe life did this to me. Here I am. That's the holiday season. I can fret. I can excuse every poor fitness health decision that I have made. I can put that at the feet of anybody and everything that I can think of. I can surround myself with people who will listen to my excuses and believe them. People who will make me feel better. Because they'll tell me, oh, you don't need to lose weight. Man, you look great just the way you are. And I can keep on being exactly who I am and what I am. And never change a thing. And never grow. Never improve. And just be miserable. I get to decide. And so do you. Happy holidays. I'm glad you clicked play. I hope you are. Tell a friend about the podcast. We're on the cusp of a new year. It's time to turn over new leaves and all that. Never mind that we know there's empirical evidence that the resolutions that we make and the new leaves that we declare we're going to turn over, we don't. So don't put off choosing. The man who procrastinates in his choosing will inevitably have his choice made for him by circumstance. Hunter S. Thompson. I may do uh, an end of year wrap up show. Haven't yet decided. So we'll figure that out as we go. And I know we don't, don't have a lot of time here, but. Big changes afoot. Keep on pushing forward. Keep on pursuing the ideal outcome. Don't pursue the ideal outcome waiting for it to just happen for you. You know that isn't how it works. So let's agree together that we're going to put in the work. Because, well, it is leaning toward wisdom. And that leaning is something that we ourselves have to decide we're going to do. You've already made a big decision because, come on, you're listening to me. Hope you're subscribing to the podcast. LeaningTowardWisdom.com is the website. My name is Randy Cantrell. Greetings and welcome inside the Yellow Studio. Studio.